Life Audio. Welcome to Truth Tribe with Doug Grothuis, where we seek the truth about the things that matter most through reason and evidence. Today, I'd like to talk about my philosophy of teaching and the need for intellectual integrity. I discovered a few years after my conversion to Christianity in 1976 that God had called me to study, teach, preach, and write. Reading Soren Kierkegaard's book, Purity of Heart, was pivotal in this discovery. I read that, I think about 1978. I'm grateful I didn't have to flop around for years trying to find out what my calling was. God confirmed it in many ways and has guided me ever since through various assignments of teaching, preaching, and writing. Teaching is a serious gift since teachers influence many people for good or ill. See James 3, 1 through 2 and Titus 2, 7 and 8. Well, good day to you. It's Joel with The King Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Like all teachers, I have a philosophy of teaching and a style. I thank God that he, he has used me to encourage many students and others over the years through my teaching. However, the way I teach differs from some today and may be intimidating to some, despite my conviction to never seek controversy for the sake of controversy or to ever bait people into an argument. I seek out truth through reason and evidence in my teaching. I state what I take to be true, having considered other possibilities. However, I do not simply present options and let the students pick what they want without criticism. I advocate for my position if I take it to be true, reasonable, and important. However, I am always open to challenges and opposition. As Proverbs says, quote, in a lawsuit, the first to speak seems right until someone comes forward and cross-examines, unquote. Proverbs 18, 17. Furthermore, quote, iron, iron sharpens iron, unquote. Proverbs 27, 17. And, quote, faithful are the wounds of a friend, unquote. Proverbs 27, 6. I am a philosopher, after all. So you don't have to apologize for playing the devil's advocate or disagreeing with me. I relish rational arguments. When I'm making a point, I may get animated about it. But that doesn't mean I cannot stop and listen to someone's alternative viewpoint. I readily do that, and I do not talk over people. If you challenge my view on a topic, I will try to understand your idea, but may challenge it, if I'm not convinced you are correct. May the best argument win, and it may not be mine. I learned much from students. Years ago, I was talking about a Denver policeman who shot and killed a young man who attacked him with a knife. I said something like, why couldn't the policeman have shot him in the arm or leg and not gone for the heart? A student 
who knew far more about police work and guns than I did, corrected me kindly in class, saying that officers must aim for the trunk of an assailant. When they are attacked, they must defend themselves in this way when attacked. I listened, thought about it, and realized he was right. Another time, I referred to the revivalist Charles Finney as an Arminian. To me, this was not a compliment. I am a Calvinist, and I am no fan of Finney. A student rightly corrected me and said he was a Pelagian and not an Arminian. By the way, being a Pelagian is far worse than being an Arminian since being a Pelagian is heretical. I stood corrected, and I could go on. He, by the way, was Arminian and was a bit offended by that. When it comes to grading, I do not downgrade papers or examinations simply for disagreeing with my views. Someone could get a low grade and agree with me, or get a high grade and disagree with me. What matters is clear writing, good arguments, and proper documentation. It also helps to actually answer the question that was assigned, something students are quite good at avoiding. I've been teaching full-time for 30 years at Denver Seminary and elsewhere. As I look back, I realize I was more fiery and confrontational when I was younger. My approach was, this is the classroom, you give it your best argument, and I will give it my best argument. I still hold that, but I am less in your face about it. I recently reminisced with a student from Denver Seminary who graduated about 20 years ago. He reminded me of the intense debates we had in class over the role of women in the church. I am an egalitarian. He was a traditionalist, or what is sometimes called complementarian. Although matters got intellectually passionate, and I didn't hold back in my arguments, and often it was just about the whole class against me, it was enjoyable. And this student, anyway, was never offended by the exchange. In fact, he became an egalitarian, he admits, through the force of the arguments and through reading Rebecca Merrill Grothuis's books. Some people will not like my teaching simply because of the conclusions I reach on controversial matters. As I said, I do not seek controversy for controversy's sake. I have never taught or written on anything because it was controversial. I only engage issues because, one, I think they are important, and two, I think I have something rationally significant to say about them. Because I am something of a public intellectual, since I write a lot of books and articles and appear in media such as podcasts and radio interviews often, my ideas are out there in the world as targets for those who disagree with them. My aim cannot be for everyone to like what I say. As Jesus said, quote, Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets, unquote. Luke 6.26 I have publicly defended in books, articles, and lectures ideas that are controversial. Here are a few. The pro-life position, egalitarianism, capital punishment, with a lot of caveats, political conservative generally, but not MAGA-Trumpism, a philosophy of technology that often goes against the grain of techno-optimism, or what we might call techno-oblivion. I have no appreciation for postmodernism. I critique critical race theory. I defend the traditional view of gender found in the Bible 
and challenge transgender ideology. I advocate for Christianity as objectively true, compellingly rational, and pertinent to the whole of life, which involves challenging non-Christian religions and worldviews, such as the New Age movement, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, etc. I'm not above critiquing those who identify as Christians, who I think are deeply wrong in their teaching, such as Richard Rohr. This is not the focus of my ministry, however. I recently did a discussion with a liberal theologian named Randolph Rouser about progressive Christianity for the podcast Unbelievable. You'll find me neither polemical nor bellicose. Dr. Rouser told me he enjoyed having the discussion, although we obviously disagreed with one another on several points and points of considerable importance. We do need watchmen. God's word also says, quote, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way, in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul, unquote. Ezekiel three seventeen through 19. Now that I am 66, I'm a bit less intense in my manner of delivery in the classroom or elsewhere. I am no less passionate to find and defend what I take to be true and important. I don't think I've lost much, if anything, intellectually, but I'm likely more gentle and patient in the free exchange of ideas. Still, I aim for truth and am not a relativist. May the best arguments win. My philosophy is that in the classroom, both teacher and students need to be held accountable rationally for their beliefs. The classroom should be a sanctuary for truth and reason. As we engage ideas in the fear of God and for the glory of God and for the good of the church and the world, to that end, we must encourage our students to be intellectually honest. One of the least enjoyable aspects of college teaching is policing students for cheating. Technology programs such as Turnitin check papers for plagiarism against the database of published material and other student papers. And now, of course, we have to do battle with AI. I started using Turnitin only because of the pandemic. Since I was teaching on Zoom, I could not receive hard copy papers, nor did I want to print them all out at home. So far, nothing has looked suspicious as far as I understand it. However, the issue runs deeper than merely detecting and penalizing plagiarism. Academic integrity is violated through plagiarism and other forms of academic deception. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact.
But what is academic integrity and how might it be taught? First to some basics. In order to avoid unintentional plagiarism, professors should explain the logic of citations and their proper form, whether that be Interabian, Chicago Manual Style, EPA, or another one. These are the mechanics of honesty given certain conventions of scholarship, but they do not speak to the virtue of honesty. Knowing the documentation requirements is necessary to avoid cheating, but not sufficient, since a student may know when documentation is needed and omit it to save time or to get a good grade. Students from cultures outside the West may need some coaching on the Western sense of authorship and attribution, since non-Western sensibilities may be more communal. The idea of doing one's own work may be clear, or relatively clear, to an American student attending a college in Denver, Colorado, but not so clear to a South Korean student who is attending the same school. What might be considered respecting the professor through mimicry in Korea might be marked as plagiarism or lack of original thinking in Denver. Many years ago, I was reading an Asian student's paper and thought it was interesting and well-written. Then I realized I was reading one of my own books. Perhaps the student thought he was honoring me, but I required a rewrite. Suffice to say, for academic integrity to be taught and followed, we need a lucid account of what that means in our academically normative setting. Checking for cheating is more like checking for a disease than it is encouraging good health. Cheating is a symptom of a moral malady, the willingness to commit intellectual theft and engage in false representation. In the language of the Ten Commandments, academic cheating breaks the Eighth Commandment not to steal and the Ninth Commandment not to bear false witness. Plagiarism steals material and pretends that the plagiarist wrote it, thus committing two sins in one. Moreover, you could say it also violates the Tenth Commandment not to covet. Whether or not someone deems the Ten Commandments as divinely inspired, most will recognize these moral truths. Academic integrity requires that we do not steal material from others or become intellectual impostors. Put positively, we should stand on our own academic merits, however that works out. Students who fear being caught cheating are less likely to cheat, but this fear of exposure and censure is not the same as respecting academic integrity in itself. Consider Immanuel Kant's example of the two shopkeepers from his book, The Groundwork for a Metaphysics of Morals. One shopkeeper is honest because it is the right thing to do. He acts out of respect for the moral law. The other shopkeeper is always honest, but only because it is good for business. He knows that getting caught defrauding a customer would be bad for business. He acts in accord with the moral law, but not out of respect for it. The first shopkeeper acts on moral principle. The second acts only on pragmatic considerations and, according to Kant and myself, he is not morally commendable. The student who does not cheat because of his fear of turn it in does what is right, but is not out acting out of moral integrity. 
The same student might cheat in some other area of life when he or she can get away with it. A student with moral integrity will refuse to cheat simply because it is wrong. If we want to do more than detect cheating or put the fear of Turnitin into our students, professors should teach their students to respect academic integrity as a moral virtue. We can start with the golden rule of treating others the way we would like to be treated. We might ask our students, how would you respond if someone plagiarized from a book, article, or paper that you wrote? This has happened to me several times, so I could give a testimony. Or, if you were teaching a course, how would you respond to students who did not abide by the academic standards you taught? How would you feel to have a student cheat on a paper that you assigned? What would be your moral assessment of this? Professor could also ask questions pertaining to personal character. If you knew someone who cheated on her papers, would you trust that person in a close relationship? or with your money, or if you found out that a political candidate plagiarized much of a speech, how would that affect your estimation of him or her? Could you vote for him or her? Or, to make it more personal, how would you as a student feel if you found out that I plagiarized a considerable amount of my doctoral dissertation? By the way, this is false. I might mention that my estimation of the great band leader, composer, and pianist Duke Ellington 1899 to 1974 dropped considerably when I found that he often took credit for writing music he did not compose. My estimation of students who cheated would drop as well. We could also appeal to truth-seeking as a noble goal. Many colleges and universities in the United States, such as Johns Hopkins University and Portland University, have a veritas vos Liberated, or the truth shall make you free in Latin, as their school motto. The phrase, will set you free, was on the front of the library at the University of Oregon when I attended there. Do students agree with this statement, or does it represent hopeless idealism? Some have junked idealism, or even basic honesty, entirely. An online business sells pre-written student papers, it took me just a few seconds to find it through Google. A student who buys one of these papers and submits it plagiarizes at a high level. Nothing in the paper is written by the student, although the documentation may be impeccable. Since the student purchases the paper, theft is avoided, but the lie remains that the student wrote the paper. The website gives this pitch. Quote, Buy a paper for college. It sounds like a good idea, right? Did you know that every day thousands of students like you are doing just that? They have seen that it is indeed a good idea. And now you can too. It is so easy, quick, and inexpensive to buy a college paper online from this ridiculous, discreditable business. It is no wonder that so many high school, college, and university students are turning to us for help with their busy schedules, unquote. A professor might ask students to evaluate its reasoning by writing a short paper or by discussing it in a small group. The punctuation errors in what I just read don't bode well for the quality of the papers, but the moral reasoning is, of course, more egregious. 
It appeals to the mob. Everyone is doing it, a fact that has no moral force. In logic, it is called the ad populum fallacy. Second is the appeal to convenience. It is easy, quick, and inexpensive. Why take the time to write it yourself? What is not said is that you need to dismiss your conscience, or disarm it, in order to get credit where no credit is due. In a philosophy class, the professor could ask her students to identify the moral theory that is being invoked. It is probably a combination of relativism and egoism. By doing so, students might clarify their own moral theory, for the better, I hope. If the students end up as relativists or egoists, they might deny that using these services is intrinsically wrong. Such judgments might lead to the professor being especially diligent in checking on the work of those egoistic and relativistic students who were dumb enough to identify as such. I'm sure that my colleagues and others reading this essay can construct other exercises for strengthening the value of academic integrity among their students. Yes, we can deter cheating by rattling our cyber swords, turn it in or otherwise, and by increasing the penalties for misconduct. We certainly need to teach our students the mechanics of proper documentation and the values pertaining to attributing authorship. Yet these measures do not penetrate to the heart of the problem, which is the problem of the heart. Honest and trustworthy students would not need to have their work put through the digital x-ray machine. Moral integrity is its own reward, but it helps everyone aspire to a lofty goal of finding truth. And the truth, as Jesus said, will make us free. This has been Doug Grothuis with Truth Tribe, reflecting a bit on my philosophy of teaching and the need for intellectual integrity. If you'd like to know more about me or how I might serve you, you can go to douglasgrothuis.com and you can also tell others about this podcast. Truth Tribe is a production of Life Audio and Salem Media. If you liked what you heard today, please take a second to rate and review this podcast in your favorite podcast app so that more listeners like you can find the show. For more faith-filled, inspirational podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. The love of God is immeasurable. It's unchanging. It's indescribable. Because God loves you so much, you can sleep through the night in peace. With Abide Bible Sleep Meditation, you can fall asleep fast with relaxing sleep stories based on Scripture. To start listening now, go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for Abide Bible Sleep Meditation. You can also download the Abide app for more biblical meditations at abide.com.